Sunday morning in Las Vegas, just o'clock. I'm Brian Robin, and this is out of line here live same time every Sunday sports radio 98.9 FM 40 AM flagship of the Vegas Golden Knight. Live this morning, my office in Las Vegas. Uh, normally we do the show out of the wisdom in Las Vegas, Spencer Studio. Uh, we've been booted sports. Um, I'm frozen. All right. Well, uh, Magnum's told me I'm frozen. Can you, Mags, can you hear me though? Yeah, but you keep freezing up and, uh, you're, you're, I'm staring at a frozen screen, so I'm not sure what you got to do, but, uh, yeah, yeah, that's not, not good, man. As much all right we're good we're good as long as they can hear the show that's the most important thing hopefully we'll uh the the video portion of the point in a little bit but um normally we do the show out of the wisdom today and uh the reason out of the fox sports red Corp studio is because of the protocol it's been about going on two years now and um we're frozen as well I'm not getting it. So, Chris, go to commercial, please. All right, here we go. On a Sunday morning in Las Vegas, we'll try to get this right now. I've got, uh, uh, I think we're doing it from the phone. This is what happens when the wizard isn't available, and the reason he's not, he is in Trump in his bedroom trying to help us out. COVID positive as of yesterday, running a fever, not feeling well, but he's doing the best he can. But normally, that's why we're in studio with Spencer. We need him. and uh, But Mags has got things taken care of back there. So uh, also, as I just mentioned, producing the show, and he is COVID negative, but still social distancing back in the Fox Sports residential Baycorp studio is Chris Magnum Chapman. Um Aside from producing a number of shows at Lotus Broadcasting, he's also the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network. And this show is streaming on the Las Vegas Sports Network. And you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Although I hear the video portion of the show is not on point. I can't see it. So, hey, I was born with a face for the radio, so it's probably better if you don't see me anyway. Listen, you can also follow the show on Instagram and Twitter uh, at Adeline Fox LV. Uh, and since we are live, your calls are welcome. Give us a call. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp Studio line is 702-876-1340. Yeah, What's On Tap is brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp, whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company you can turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighbor at a time, now offering $2,500 free to everyone and anyone who qualifies for a home purchase loan in the state of Nevada. Call 702-964-5720 for more information. On tap, the Vegas Golden Knights start their season this Tuesday night, and joining us is the brand-new ringside reporter joining us this year for the first time, joining us on the show for the first time, and that is Ashley Weiss. Looking really forward to having her on. Uh, she's been in St. Louis working for the Blues for the past five seasons, and now we're lucky enough to have her in, in uh, Las Vegas 
talk to her in a minute. Also joining the show in a little while, Q Meyer, Sports Program Director for Lotus Broadcasting, uh, also hosts a great show on Raider Nation Radio, um, Unnecessary Roughness. We'll talk about that as well. And, yeah, Raiders playing, aces bumped. Playoffs are up, man. Can you believe the Dodgers, 106 games, and almost got a, well, had a chance to get eliminated in a one-game playoff to a team that finished 16 games behind them. Pretty amazing. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. And UNLV has the week off. Uh, maybe they needed it. So they'll play next week 0-5. We'll talk to Q about that as well. And a big fight last night, uh, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. If you didn't see it, we'll try to get that in towards the end of the show. But that is what's on tap. Um, again, brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bay Corp, Funding America, one neighbor at a time. And once again, now offering Nevada home buyers $2,500 towards closing costs for anyone and everyone who qualifies for a home purchase loan in the state of Nevada. Call 702-964-5720 uh, for more details. And before we jump into this, Chris, I'm sure uh, hopefully you got Ashley on the phone, uh, but I um, want to ask you how you're doing. You're safe. You're healthy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, everything here on, on my end is, is good. Um, but, uh, you know, just gearing up for the season to start. Uh, preseason game last night. Not, I, You know, it's funny. I don't, I don't take a lot of stock in preseason, but I, I think it's, uh, I don't want to say concerning, but I do think that there could be cause for a little concern with the fact that the Golden Knights have not played very well in either of their last two Preseason games, these are both supposed to be dress rehearsals. Well, and... you're jumping the gun. Let's get the nightcap in one second because um, we want to bring Ashley in to join the two of us on the show. And uh, Spencer, I know he can't come on the radio, but, man, surprised me last night. He's sick, vaccinated not that long ago. And uh, poor Spencer, he's been one of the guys keeping as safe as anybody I know. Social distancing, always has the mask on, and I, uh, I really feel bad for him. Spencer, I appreciate you joining the show and definitely get better quickly because I need you, man. Um, anyways, go ahead and hit nightcap. Players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck well, I missed just about here. everything last night and yesterday. All right, we're, we're back. We are having all kinds of technical difficulties on this Sunday morning. Hopefully the Raiders won't have those same difficulties this afternoon to the Knights on Tuesday night. Chris just alluded to the preseason where they didn't look great. Um, and, uh, Chris, you, you, you don't have Ashley on the phone? No, we're having some more technical difficulties. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, listen, real quickly, while Chris works on getting Ashley on the phone, we'll talk a little bit about this. Um, and, of course, uh, he's having some issues in the studio, and I apologize. And, of course, we are looking to get Ashley Vice, who is the brand-new ringside reporter. Uh, she's featured prominently on all the regular televised AT&T Sportsnet game broadcasts, AT&T Sportsnet behind-the-scenes show Vegas with the Vegas Golden Knights. It's called Nightlife, another show, which is the Vegas Golden Knights produced uh, digital content and team charitable appearances and events throughout the Las Vegas Valleys, which she'll be doing here. And... Um, Again, Ashley has been working with the St. Louis Blues for the past couple of seasons. And um, I'm going to get this. I'm getting a bad echo here as well. She also traveled with the team in the bubble in 2020, handled the Stanley Cup playoffs last year, got to see the Blues win their first ever Stanley Cup, which is extremely cool. And, of course, David Perron, 
a cast-off of the Vegas Golden Knights. I can't say really a cast-off. It made sense for him to go to the Blues. He got to play in back-to-back Stanley Cup finals, losing the first one with the Knights, and uh, and then won the Blues' first-ever Stanley Cup with them, which was pretty cool. But as Chris alluded to a minute ago, the Golden Knights finished 3-4 and four in the preseason. The last couple of games didn't look good, looked lethargic. At times, looked like they were skating in wet cement. 4 nothing shutout yesterday at the hands of the San Jose Sharks. That has to be a little tiny bit concerning coming into the regular season. I know preseason doesn't mean a thing as far as uh, you know the game's counting go, but you don't want to end the preseason that way and kind of on a note where you guys are kind of searching to see where you're at. They are getting a break in the sense playing at home against the expansion Seattle Kraken, but hey, look at the way the Vegas Golden Knights came out of the gate four years ago. So who knows what's going to happen. Chris, I don't know if Ashley's on the line yet. Uh, he can join us and talk about this a little bit. But it is concerning that they went 3-4 and four in the preseason, especially the way they played the last two games. Yeah, Brian, I'm here. Um, oh, my God, there she is. Ashley, I'm here. I made aboard. it. Yeah, I had a little technical issue there for a second. I apologize. Um, no, I that is not understand. you. We are uh, it's the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp. studio. I think that it hasn't gotten its vaccine yet. You know, we might we might have a problem over there. That's all right. We got to get it one. We got to get it one. Uh, but no, I totally understand the concern whenever you look at you know three and four. But there's a lot more that you want to get out of preseason than wins and losses. A lot of it is just getting up to game speed and feeling comfortable. For example, you know, Robin Leonard may not have been happy to let four goals in yesterday, but Pete DeBoer continually talked about how great he's looked in practice. And really, it's just about being comfortable. Leonard even said after yesterday's game, yeah, like, I didn't want to let four goals in, obviously, but I also came up with some big saves. So those are the kind of things that the players are looking for. The preseason also gave the coaching staff really good looks at some of the younger players, not just, you know, getting in games here and there, but really seeing how they react in different situations. Peyton Krebs played six out of the seven preseason games, and you saw him play all up and down the lineup. So now the coaching staff knows where he can go in in any situation. Caden Korzak got a chance to play with Alec Martinez yesterday. Pierre Delibertori played with Alex Petrangelo the night before that. So you have some young defensemen understanding what it's like to play with some of the best defensemen in the world. Um, So really all the coaching staff really looks for in the preseason is – seeing what those young guys can do, seeing what, who comes up if there's a problem, who makes the opening night roster if there's an injury, things of that nature. So certainly uh, you don't want to finish three and four, but I, I really don't expect much carryover from that standpoint. We are talking with Ashley Weiss. She's a brand-new Vegas Golden Knights rinkside reporter. You're going to see her all year this year. Looking forward to having her. Ashley, before we get started, how cool was it for you to come to Las Vegas? Obviously a hockey fan working with the Blues, you, like everyone else around the country, saw what happened here, which was nothing short of miraculous with the Vegas Golden Knights and what they did as an, a, a true expansion team. Um, it's been amazing for all of us here in Las Vegas. The decision to come to Vegas from the Blues. You know, I had a really great opportunity here. I was doing some great stuff with the Blues, but this gave me an opportunity to be incorporated um, on the TV broadcast as well, which was not part of my role with the Blues. And who wouldn't want to come be part of this organization? Just like you were saying, it's had the attention of everyone around the National Hockey League every year for the first four years of its existence with good reason. 
uh, from the top down. It's just a winning mentality. It's a mentality of doing whatever you need to do to be successful, which is extremely appealing. And of course, it's Vegas. It's an incredible city. I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to be here. I especially don't know why any sports fan wouldn't want to be here when you see the growth of professional sports here, even just since the Golden Knights came around. Now you have the Raiders. Now will, will there be a Major League Baseball team? Who knows? But there's so much to love about it. I will say even just the preseason games, every time I get back uh, from the plane and I'm driving back and I'm looking at the Las Vegas Strip, I'm just in awe. Yeah, you know, actually, it's really cool. I transplanted here from Detroit in 2004, and I say in Travel Magazine about 20 years ago, they listed Las Vegas as the number two vacation destination in the world based on a survey of 10,000 people that, that filled out a survey of the 10 places they wanted to visit before they left this planet. Vegas turned out to be number two internationally, which is pretty crazy. So I always feel like I'm living on vacation, right? It's the number two exactly. vacation destination in the world. but. You got to see the rise of the St. Louis Blues, something for a long time they have been waiting for in St. Louis, and they finally get a Stanley Cup champion a couple years ago. You saw that. You were a part of it. It was cool for us Vegas Golden Knights fans because we saw David Parada, who we uh, absolutely loved here, go to uh, St. Louis and get a ring the year after the Vegas Golden Knights lost to the Capitals. What was that like in St. Louis, them winning their first Stanley Cup? You know, it was nothing short of incredible. It's kind of hard to describe because not only did they win the Stanley Cup that year, but they were last place in the league on January 1st, almost halfway through the season. Um, so even to have just made the playoffs was a huge accomplishment, and then they go on to win the Cup. The whole thing was kind of a blur. It was just about a, you know, a five-and-a-half-month period of, is this really happening? Um, and I will say it's it's interesting. I, I think Vegas fans probably have an idea of what that feeling is like whenever your team is about to do it, just from what the VGK did their very first year of existence, making it to the cup final. But I will say I, I've only experienced it once, but there's just a feeling when it's going to happen. There's a way that the team seems to come together and bond. I think so much of it is about the team's relationship off the ice. I am a firm believer that the team does not get far if they don't have the right chemistry, uh, they don't, if they don't want to play for each other every single night. So I also think that there's usually like a turning point in a season, right? There's always that one point where you're like, okay, this is where everything changed. This is whenever we realized that there was really going to be a chance for this to happen. So when you mentioned David Perron, incredible to see a guy like that succeed. Um, I'm not saying that Vegas fans want to hear this since he's not in Las Vegas anymore, but he's someone that seems to just get better with age, which is crazy every year he seems to be doing something more but I will say his his play reminds me a lot of Jonathan Marcia so the two of them remind me a lot of each other their passion for the game um their compete level they don't want to lose to anyone uh so I do believe that Vegas still has in Jonathan Marcia so uh what they had in David Perron as well yeah Ashley you, yeah you, well both guys are physical not not huge in stature but very physical players and don't shy away from the physical contact and both can put the puck in the net. We've seen that with David Perron. And I mean, you talk about a guy chip on his shoulder. He comes here as a cast off. Then one year later, he's somewhere else and he carried that to St. Louis. And you're right. His play seems to continue to elevate every season as he gets into his thirties, which is pretty crazy. Um, With the Vegas Golden Knights now, 
here, as you mentioned, we did get the feeling of that. I saw what you're talking about in Detroit when the Red Wings went through a huge drought and then in the 90s finally broke through after all these years in the playoffs and finally win a Stanley Cup. They've won a few since then. It was incredible. And for Vegas, the way they got the feeling is, hell, they had the the Lord Stanley's Cup here for a long time where everyone got to view it, see it. They had it at one of the local establishments by T-Mobile Arena. It was really cool, and a lot of people got that feeling. But in the same respect, the disappointment starts to come. Like last year, I think everyone felt the Knights would, the Golden Knights would at least make it to the finals again, playing a Montreal team that obviously won a lot less games. Uh, they were they were on a mission, and it's something that people I don't think have forgotten here. There are people that say the Vegas Golden Knights, without Mark Andre Fleury, without Ryan Reeves, are not the same team that they have been. And some people expect a decline. And again, that preseason, like you said, you can't, you got to kind of throw that out the window. It's a little concerning, but when the talk is this team might see a little decline and that's the preseason you have, that is a concern. No, I get that for sure. It totally makes sense. But something to keep in mind is just because it's different than what you've seen with Ryan Reeves, with Marc-Andre Fleury, doesn't mean that it's bad. I think people, especially um, with the love that this team or this city has for this team, which is incredible. You fall in love with the players. Um, And those two guys played a massive role on the team. There's no doubt. But now you have a different kind of forward depth that you haven't had before. You have roles that Nolan Patrick and Evgeny Dodonov can play that you haven't had before. You have guys like Peyton Krebs, who might be one of the next superstars for this team. And then you have Robin Leonard, who's probably going to get more games in, and he's going to be able to get more settled in. And that is not a slap on Marc-Andre Fleury at all or to downplay uh, the impact that he had on this team. But Leonard gets a real shot this time, and it's incredible uh, what can happen to a goaltender whenever he understands that he has the support of everyone behind him. So totally makes sense, but also something to remember, because there were new faces, you know, you had to get some chemistry going. So that's kind of what preseason's for, better to get that out, better to start to build that chemistry now than to be worried about building it when the season starts. Another thing in preseason, because you had the young guys getting the different looks, getting the looks that they wouldn't normally have. Like you have the young guys on the top pair. Keegan Colasar, phenomenal camp. But last night he starts on the top line, which probably isn't going to happen opening night. That also makes it to where the results aren't completely telling in the preseason of what's going to happen in the regular season. You saw a lot of guys who would normally be on the power play throughout the season not playing on the power play. Uh, You saw people who would normally not play on the power play up there. Same with the penalty kill. So, uh, those are the kind of reasons that the preseason shouldn't have you too concerned. No, I agree with that. I think all of us just believe that what's going to make a difference is the star players stepping up at the biggest moments. And I, and one of the people no I doubt. spoke a, a lot about, love Mark Stone. I've said he is one of the greatest players in the league that is not mentioned as one of the greatest players in the league. And then he lays an egg last year in the postseason. That can't happen again. I know nobody feels worse about that then Mark Stone, but that can't happen again. And we're going to talk about Robin Leonard real quickly before we go in a second. I just want to ask you something I've said to a lot of people about the Marc-Andre Fleury departure. I didn't love the way that the Vegas Golden Knights went about it. However, I'm one of the very few people in Las Vegas that said it was a great move for Marc-Andre Fleury and for the city of Las Vegas. And most people argue with me intensely about it. The reason I'm saying that, Ashley, is After the gaffe Marc-Andre Fleury had in the semifinals last year, 
it was a big conversation. Is he losing it? And then, of course, it was something that shaked his confidence, and we saw that the rest of the way. Robin Leonard played well, but Andre Fleury, Mark andre Fleury never recovered. Even though they're not in the semifinals without him, he played so well and, of course, won the Vesna Trophy. But I said by him departing, once he was let go and let go to Chicago, everyone was complaining like, oh, my God, how could the Knights do it? And all of a sudden, the conversation about the gaff and his legacy went away. And I said that is the best thing for him. Plus, Mark will go to Chicago. He'll have a chip on his shoulder again and maybe get one more great season out of his career. At his age, you can't continue to see an upside and a climb. There's only one Tom Brady, although Mark andre Fleury might argue with that. But I'm saying it's a good thing for that reason. His legacy may have been slightly tarnished. Had he stayed in Las Vegas and not played well this year, they would have not forgotten that gap. I think now the gap is forgotten, and everyone's you know singing Mark Andre Fleury's praises again, which I think is a good thing. You know, I understand what you mean. It's funny because what I have to compare this to from firsthand experience is Pat Maroon in St. Louis. He went to St. Louis and he signed a one-year deal. He was a hometown kid. He had a major goal in the second round, game seven, double overtime. He was the hometown hero whenever the Blues won the Stanley Cup. And then he signed with Tampa Bay the following year. Now, given he's gone on to win two more cups with Tampa back-to-back season. But I remember thinking, I'm glad he's moving on because he can go out as the hometown hero. And there's no, that's the only way people in St. Louis are ever going to remember him. So I totally understand what you were saying. I also, uh, you know, changes of sceneries can be good for people. I also think it's important to note, though, that the organization and the fans will always have so much respect for Marc-Andre Fleury. It has nothing to do with that. And also, you know, it was a cap decision more than anything, which is something that people Mm -hmm. – have to keep in mind, without that move, is Evgeny Dodonov here? Is Nolan Patrick here? Probably not. And you talked about the importance of guys like Mark Stone performing. Yes, you do need your top players to be your top players. But with a true bottom six, like it looks like the VGK are going to have this season, that does take some pressure off those guys, which probably also leads to them performing a little bit better because maybe they're not gripping their sticks so tight. You also have more guys who can play. TK. So maybe you're not having Mark Stone out every single instance of the ice and being so worn down. So yes, uh, I completely understand the disappointment whenever a fan favorite leaves 100%, but there could be plenty of silver linings that come out of it. It's too early to tell, but that's certainly the game plan for the VGK. Talking with Ashley Vice, the brand new uh, VGK ringside reporter. And I think that was very well said. And I agree with Mark Stone again. Yeah, he was worn down, but, you know, it just it, it, it still eats, sticks in the crawl of most Vegas Golden Knights fans. I think we'll see a different Mark Stone this year because, again, nobody was more disappointed than him. Really quick before I let you go, Robin Leonard last Saturday made some news, as we all know, and it was talking about the NHL teams that he's played for, um, some of them, I should say, handing out painkillers to players without prescriptions. He did say the Knights were not one of those teams. But he made the allegations on Twitter a week ago Saturday in an effort, he told ESPN, to call attention to the surgery stalemate between his former teammate Jack Eichel and the Buffalo Sabres. Um, Spencer, if you can, play the segment on Robin Leonard. This was the press conference last Tuesday and what he had to say about that. Okay, real quickly, Spencer, you can turn that off. I guess it's not coming over the air, unfortunately. We are having all kinds of uh, – 
technical difficulties with our broadcast today, and we will clean this up next week when Spencer's back and healthy. But um, Robin Leonard's basically just saying that he had a great conversation with the National Hockey League. They are going to pay more attention to this, and he is concerned about players' health, their future. Um, and I do understand what Robin Leonard was saying. I just thought it was something that should have been handled more on a private level with the NHL directly and maybe gone to them and said up front that, you know what, I'm going to say something. I'm going to come out publicly and say something if something isn't done or I don't see you making an effort. I thought that might have been a little better way to handle it, considering the season's getting ready to start, and that can potentially be a distraction. Ashley, before I let you go, comment on that. Can that be a distraction? Is it something that's being talked about in the Vegas Golden Knights locker room, or is it something that's now a non-issue, it's a week old, and they're moving on and getting ready for the season? You know, I don't think it's a distraction, and the reason I say that is because I think that everyone in that locker room, or I know that everyone in that locker room, already knows the passion that Robin Leonard has for those issues, the passion he has when it comes to supporting those with addiction, preventing people to be in positions um, to develop addiction, his passion about mental health. So I, I can see where on the outside where people would be like, wow, right before the season starts maybe, but this isn't a surprise. These aren't conversations that he also isn't willing to have in the locker room with his teammates. So if that makes sense, I, don't, I think that from the outside maybe it seems that way a little bit more, but um, from the top down, people in the organization, his teammates, they understand his passion for the issues and they support his passion for the issues. And, you know, he's told me, directly it's not something he doesn't enjoy having to talk about it but he feels a weight to talk about it he feels the times like his it's his responsibility to bring attention to things so that you know people don't go down a path that he has gone down in the past he wants to make a difference so totally understand Uh, I don't expect that to make a difference I don't expect that to impact his performance because yeah uh, stuff may have been public but again those aren't conversations that he's not already having with people that he's close with anyways which are his teammates yeah, I agree. And, and the bottom line is typically the needle doesn't get moved unless the squeaky wheel squeaks loudly. And maybe that's the way Robin Leonard felt he had to do. And again, he was standing up for a good friend. She, again, is Ashley Vice, And you will hear and see her all year as she is the new, the brand new ringside reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights. Again, she will be on the AT&T Sportsnet game broadcast, AT&T Sportsnet behind the scenes show for the Vegas Golden Knights, Nightlife and the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, she'll produce the digital video content. We appreciate you being here, Ashley, and look forward to seeing you all season. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, uh, our technical difficulties are um, getting better. Chris, are you able to get Q on the line? Yeah, I'll go ahead and get him up right now. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, we'll come back. We'll try to do a few other things. We are running a little bit behind because of the issues we've had. But um, the Las Vegas Aces... I don't think we're going to try the sound, Spence, because it wasn't coming up before. So I don't know what the issue is with uh, the stream yard today. We'll figure that out. But um, we're going to talk with Q about the Vegas goal, uh, excuse me, the, the Aces and also the Las Vegas Raiders, maybe a little bit of NFL, some UNLV football right here as soon as Chris gets him on the phone. The Aces, real tough season. This was a season that I think they really were in line and in shape to win the WNBA title and bring the first professional championship to Las Vegas. It didn't happen. They fell in five games to the Mercury Sun, losing uh, the last one this past Friday night. Tough game to law. You could see it in the the places. It was almost heart-wrenching watching the post-game press conference 
seeing Asia Wilson, Kelsey Plum, Chelsea Gray up there just in anguish. It was terrible. And, um, but then again, it was an exciting as hell series, great game down the stretch. And to see the GOAT in women's basketball, Diana Tarazi, play the way she did, uh, was quiet in the first half, only six points, picked up 18 in the second half, including huge three-pointers down the stretch. That's what she does. And Brittany Griner may be the GOAT as far as her position goes in women's basketball. She is just an unstoppable force in the low post, and she is developing this little skyhook a la Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that is going to be completely undefensible once she gets it down and, and starts hitting it on a consistent basis. Yeah, we have Q on the phone yet? No, no, no. But, you know, the, the, the thing is, I, I just got to say, the, the officiating down the, down the stretch of that game was horrible. I, 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 I have a real issue with them calling the foul with, uh, I can't remember who it was, for the Mercury who shot the three. First of all, the Aces played great defense for the entire shot clock. By bad luck, it ends up in, in someone's hands who just throws up a prayer and leans into the contact. They blow the whistle to give the Mercury three free throws, two of which were made. Vegas calls a timeout. Brittany Griner has her arm wrapped around Asia Wilson on the inbounds play. Wilson does get the ball, and she's fouled by two players on the Mercury driving to the basket. They don't call anything. They swallow the whistle. Diana Taurasi got away with a foul on Liz Cambage late in the game where they were praising it as a great block. She clearly fouled Cambage, but because she's eight inches shorter, they're not going to call it. Absolutely horrific officiating down the stretch. I talked with someone closer to the team about it, and they said it's been that way the entire season. The Aces were not getting the calls, and Mercury the other night got the calls. The Aces didn't. The re- at the end of the day, you can't blow a 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter. The Aces should have been better. Look, they were 21 of 21 from the free throw line, so you can't complain about that. They played a good game. The problem was they just didn't finish a lot of the little things that needed to be finished. Yeah, and I wonder why, you know, you heard Bill Lambeer complaining about the officiating. I'm sure he's going to, if he hasn't been contacted by the league, I'm sure he's going to get fined. You know, what I don't understand, though, Chris, is why. He kept saying they're, they're getting championship calls and they're not a championship team. See, I look at it the opposite. When you're a team that wins a championship, great players don't get the calls against them. That's always been the big, you know, what people talk about is with great players like LeBron James. They don't call they don't call fouls against him. So I don't know what Limbeer was saying. You get fouls called against you when you're not the champion. Well, the, the, what what it remind what his comments reminded me of, and and you'll remember this because I mean you you were a Pistons fan growing up. That that Michael Jordan had to go through the Pistons to win an NBA title. But if you remember those series where Jordan lost, Michael Jordan never got the calls in those games. It wasn't until he overcame the mountain where he got to the top where he started to get those calls. I mean, well, that's I, what I'm saying, though. So, Chris. so, so th- that's the thing. Like, I think they're not a championship team. They shouldn't. I, I don't understand the comment about champ. Like, if you're a champion, you're going to get the calls. They were getting all the calls going against them. Anytime there was contact when when Phoenix had the ball, they were blowing the whistle and calling a foul. Yeah. But Phoenix has been through the grind, right? Tarazi, as you mentioned, she she's a great player. Brittany Griner, one of the all-time greats in the history of the WNBA. 
They're going to get the calls. The Aces haven't earned that, which which to me is garbage. I hate that. That you know, oh well, well the champions get all the calls. To me, if it's a foul, it's a foul regardless of how many rings you wear when you when you're walking down you know the 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 the, the red carpet at the WNBA All Star game. I don't care about that. If it's a foul, it's a foul. But the comment was kind of odd. Uh, you know, they're getting championship calls because generally the champion. I mean, if you remember, I mean, listen, I'm a New England Patriot hater. For decades, for two decades, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick got all the calls. It's just the way it was. Every single 50-50 call went their way. That's because they were champions. No, but that's my exact point. Champions don't get the bad calls against them. Lambeer was saying they're getting calls against them like a champion would. And my point was that didn't make sense to me because it's usually the other way around when you see the calls going against the team that's playing against the champions. And when you look at the Phoenix Mercury, excuse me, the Phoenix Sun, here's the deal with them. They have the GOAT. And Diana Taurasi is somebody, be, I mean, almost intimidating to the officials. You can see when she talks to the officials, they're more effective than when Lambeer's talking to them. And that is because of her reputation in the WNBA. So I'm not sure if I want to blame the officials for everything. I agree with you. There were some bad calls. But I actually thought in a couple of the games they did a pretty decent job. And I just thought the Aces didn't play great down the stretch. And that was really where the difference was. You know, Asia Wilson in a couple games completely disappeared. She played great in game four, double-double, and they won. Yeah, well, she she, she played good in in game five. I think think the— She played good in the second half of game five. Yeah. Well, yeah, her and Camp Age had a, had a good second half. First half, they they were the team was carried by Chelsea Gray and and yep. Kelsey Plum. Chelsea Gray is is man. I didn't know a lot about her until she became a member of the Aces. Dude, she is good. She she's a well, baller. Chris, let me ask you something. The re- you saying that then? Why with four point eight seconds to go in the game, down two points? Why did Chelsea Gray inbound the pass? I mean, inbound the ball. Well, I, Why I, would you have her inbounding when she was as hot as anybody? Well, I, think, I was amazed at that. I think they had a play drawn up for Asia, and it, it just didn't pan out. Look, I'm, 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 of the, I'm one of the people who believes that in the final seconds of a game, you want the ball in the hands of your best player. Asia Wilson is their best player. Look, she won the league MVP last year. You put the ball in her hands because if you don't put it in her hands— then people are going to question, well, why didn't you give the ball? I mean, look, you, you watch Lakers. Who has the ball in the last possession? LeBron James. You watched anybody. Kobe Bryant. He has the ball in his hands. Last possession. You want the ball in the hands of your best player. I thought the play was good. If she gets through those two Mercury players, she she's going to score. I mean, she's laying it in. Like I said, I think she was fouled going to the basket. It's a shame that they didn't blow the whistle. But, you know, you, you got you to gotta put the ball in her hands at the end of the game. I'm not disagreeing with that, but I think you have to have a second and third option. You always have extra options in case your first option isn't available. To me, as hot as she played in that game, Chelsea Gray should have been the second option at least. You can't be the second option when you're inbounding the ball. It's going to be very difficult because there's only 4.8 seconds to go, not 10. And that's what worried me. That's what worried me the most. Um, all right. Q, I guess Q Meyer's on the phone. Q, what's going on? Hey, man, chilling. How you guys doing? Oh, man, we've had technical difficulties all morning. It's been a <laughs> challenging Sunday at the least. But, hey, we're up, we're rocking and rolling, and we just got done talking about the Aces. Uh, I'll, I'll make this brief because we're a little bit short on time. 
you were there at the press conference. You were there for all the Aces playoff games. Man, was that heart-wrenching or what, seeing those four ladies on the stage at the end of the game to see how much they care? It's refreshing to see professional athletes with their heart on the line like that, but at the same time, it's heart-wrenching. Yeah, no, it really is. It's disappointing as well. I mean, they had opportunities, multiple opportunities in that game five to kind of close the door and uh, and, and close the, uh, the Mercury out. And unfortunately, they weren't able to do it. I thought Liz Cambage missed a couple bunnies at the end that really could have helped seal the deal. But, I mean, that's just how that's how basketball go, right? That's how sports go. It's just unfortunate. Uh, you know, the ball bounces a certain way. And Brittany Griner is a Hall of Famer. And, of course, you got uh, uh, Tarasi, who's a Hall of Famer. And it's just it's it's incredible, man. It was it was an incredible run. Uh, unfortunately, it came up a little short for the Aces, but it was a lot of fun watching them uh, get where they got. Uh, I love the quality of basketball we saw out there. Uh, I love seeing Mandalay Bay packed like that for a WNBA yeah. game. And I was saying during the game, I said Coach, uh, uh, Coach Kruger of UNLV should have brought the running Rebels out there and said, this is what a stadium looked like when you win. Let's let's find a way to win and pack the map like this. That's a story for another time, though. Q, since we don't have a lot of time and you are the Raiders guy, I want to get you on here talking about the Las Vegas Raiders. Last week, tough game in L.A. against the Chargers. We knew it was going to be a tough game. What do you think the Raiders learned from their first loss? Because I still think this is a much different and better Raiders team than we've seen the last couple of years. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. I was saying that during training camp that I thought this was a different team. It just felt different. You know, it just felt like they, they were going to be a better team. They were going to win a lot of games and, and win for each other. You know, they, they like each other. Uh, they're really tight with each other. Uh, but, you know, I think this game today will tell a lot about the, the makeup of this team and, and, you know, where they're at, where their, uh, you know, mentality is at. How do you bounce back from a tough loss that they, they suffered on Monday night? I think that's really the storyline of this whole game is, uh, you know, so, so I think we'll learn a lot about this team today. Um, you know, it's, they're young. You know, they really are, and it's a short week. And, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take, I think, some of these veterans that are there, like the Ngakwes and the Casey Haywards and guys like that, K.J. Wright. It's going to take a lot of those guys, uh, you know, just kind of knowledge and, and, and uh, want to, to, to go ahead and help this team today because they're playing a tough Bears team. But uh, I do think that they bounce back. Um, I, I just, I just think that they got to start fast. I think the key to this game today will, will be starting fast, which is something they haven't done the whole season long. I'm not going to disagree. They are talking to Q Myers, he's Lotus Broadcasting Sports Program Director and the host of Unnecessary Roughness uh, on Raider Nation Radio every day from two to four, Monday through Friday. Definitely check it out. Q's great with the show, and I do agree with you. I think that. This team going forward has to continue to play well defensively, and I think today, Q, the key to me is running the football. The Bears give yep. up an average of 110, 111 yards a game on the ground, and it seems like Josh Jacobs is healthy again. I, I didn't even see him listed on the injury report, although we, we know he has been. Um, I know that Barber's hurt, and Kenyon Drake didn't get a lot of snaps last week, but I think it is going to be a combo package in the running game that needs success for them to beat this Bears team. You know, I agree 100%. And it's something I've been calling for for a couple of weeks now is for this Raider team to get going, you know, on the ground. And last week they went up against the Chargers team who gave up 170 yards a game on the ground, and they weren't able to get anything going. They got like 50 yards. And Josh Jacobs returned from injury. He didn't look like he had that burst. Didn't look like he was that guy that, you know, he looked like he was a guy who missed a couple of weeks. You know, he just didn't have his legs underneath him. 
So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, after a, a week of practice, you'll see a better Josh Jacobs. That's what you know. That's what I, I believe that the goal is is to get that run game going. Peyton Barber, I do believe, won't play just because of the toe injury. Uh, and, you know, and Kenyon Drake's been disappointing. That's the other thing. He's been disappointing so far uh, when you run the ball between the tackles. You know, he just hasn't hit the holes right. He hasn't been blocking right. He just hasn't done the job that I think that the Raiders signed him up when they gave him that contract and uh, said he was going to be a one-two punch with Josh Jacobs. So I think a, a big key today is going to be getting the run game going. I mean, uh, Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack, they're going to come downhill. They're going to come and, and, and try to attack uh, Derek Carr and attack, attack that uh, offensive line that's been struggling so far for the Raiders, and they're going to try to get after the quarterback. So uh, to kind of slow down that pressure, you got to have a good run game, you know, kind of make those guys uh, hesitate a couple seconds. So Josh Jacobs, I think it's a lot on 28 today. He's going to have to come up and, uh, and make some big plays. I agree with you 100%. Justin Fields announced earlier this week the permanent starter of the Chicago Bears. I don't think anyone was surprised about that. I was saying if they don't announce him as the permanent starter, they're going to find a way to keep Andy Dalton on the shelf and say the injury is worse than we think to make everything look better. But what kind of difficulties does Justin Fields propose for the, the Las Vegas Raiders? Well, you know, it's just, I mean, the athleticism. You know, he's a runner. That's a guy, he, he can make plays happen if he has to. Now, of course, he's going to want to stand in the pocket and throw the ball around the yard. But, I mean, it, he could break it down. He could break it down, and he can, he can get mobile, and he could do some things with his legs. And uh, you saw a couple weeks ago against Miami, Jacoby Brissett, who's not as mobile as Justin Fields, he did really well. You know, he picked up some big third and long plays uh, by, by his legs. He kept a, a, a play alive where he stepped up in the pocket and converted on fourth and 20 with his legs. So, I mean, uh, the, those kind of guys, those mobile guys, man, they're going to give the Raiders and every other team in the league fits just because what they could do is they could do, uh, you know, multiple things with their legs. But uh, I, I'll say this. I think that the, the Bears' offensive line is pretty suspect. I think Unique Ngakwe, I think uh, Max Crosby, uh, Darius Phylon, uh, Jonathan Hankins, I mean, all those guys on the Raiders' offensive line, Solomon Thomas, I think they could all eat today. I really do. I think they're going to have an opportunity to get after uh, Fields. Miles uh, Garrett a couple weeks ago sacked Justin Fields uh, four and a half times, and, and the Browns as a team had him, uh, had him down nine times. So, uh, you know, I, I think that there's opportunities to get sacks, but you got to go and make it happen. You know, the, the good thing is Max Crosby's been really leading the league in, in pressures. So today I, I think one of the biggest keys is, uh, you know, getting the pressures on the quarterback, but also getting the quarterback to the ground. Absolutely. It's Q Myers, sports uh, program director for Lotus Broadcasting. Five-and-a-half points favored, Q. Who do you like? I'm, I'm, I'm going with the Raiders. I'm going with the home team today. I do, I do think they can win this game. Uh, I, I think that that five-and-a-half points is a little generous. You know, I, I think that it's going to be a little closer than that, as we all seen so far through four weeks, well, at least through uh, three weeks when they were 3-0. and I mean, all those games are close. You know, I mean, they, they come down to the wire. That's just kind of traditional Raiders style. Uh, you know, it's a field goal here, a field goal there is going to win this game. Um, I, I don't. I don't know if it's going to be a five and a half point point victory. I'm sure Raider fans will be excited if it is because they feel like they don't have to uh, panic towards the end. But uh, I think it's going to be really close. But I do think uh, at the end of the day, they're enough to to win the game. The, the key, the, honestly, like the biggest thing in this game is 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 getting a victory because they're coming off that loss on Monday night, and you don't want to go on a losing streak. You know what I mean? Okay, you lose the game, fine, but get back in that win column. That's one of the most important things: is not going on losing streaks. You want to be a good team, you, go, you, you, you lose the game, you, you pick it right back up, and you, and you make it happen. So uh, that's going to be on the Raiders today to do, go ahead and uh, make that happen. Yep, got to have a short memory and get back on yep. track today. I'm right there with you. I think it's going to be a close game, and I think the Raiders eke this one out. And 4-1, and one, I don't 
I definitely didn't predict that at the beginning of the season. Real quick, Q, 60 seconds. You're new to Vegas, getting acclimated with UNLV sports. I'm not going to be a naysay, so I'm going to just shut up. They're 0-5. I think the bye week really helped them out. Next week, Utah State comes in here next Saturday. Can UNLV get over the hump, finally get a win against Utah State? As a matter of fact, I'm getting text, a ton of text messages right now. Can UNLV win a game this season? Yeah, I think they can. I, I like the, the fact that they've been playing all these teams. Tough schedule. I think they've been playing these teams pretty tough. Uh, I thought they should have got that victory against Fresno State. They didn't. We all know how that goes. But, uh, yeah, man, they, they, they're – I feel like they're getting better. They just haven't got there. And, of course, like, you know, Coach Royal says all the time, there's no moral victories. But I think that they're going to get one. I don't know if it's going to come this week. I just – you know what I mean? It's just so hard to, to call it. But, man, it, it feels like the team is getting better. And, and I love the Chuck Wagon. I love what he does on the ground. And, and hopefully hopefully for UNLV's sake, man, I want to see him get a couple of doves. I'd love to see him get one this upcoming week against Utah State. Yeah, it would be nice, and uh, we've been waiting for a long time. I can't imagine two seasons without a victory. I think they're going to get at least one this season. I don't know about Utah State, but I think that's right. as good of an opportunity to win as any. And finally, key matchups today. You know, it doesn't surprise us based on last season that the Browns and the Chargers are a heck of a matchup, both teams 3-1. and one. But the surprising, who would have thought that the Packers at the Bengals would be a marquee matchup in week five, but it is. It really is. I'm excited about this game. I do think the Packers win the game, but man, haven't the Bengals been a nice surprise? I mean, three and one. I thought that they were silly when they went and drafted Jamar Chase instead of a big time offensive lineman to protect uh, Joe Burrow. But man, they showed that that Burrow to Chase connection is real and uh, that they have something special there. And so I, I kind of like from a distance what they're doing there in Cincinnati. So uh, that, that game will be a fun game. I do think the Packers ultimately win. But, man, who thought Cincinnati would be 3-1 and one at this point? So uh, good, good for the Bengals. Keep doing what they do. I'll tell you what, the skill positions of the Bengals, Q, are as good as anybody in the league uh, with Burroughs. And, you know, you got Joe Mixon as a running back and a three-headed monster wide receiver. Any one of those guys can burn you. And I do love Jamar Chase. I think this guy is going to be a, a superstar in the National Football League. Once again, he is Q Meyer. He is the Lotus Program sports director, and also uh, definitely check him out, 2 to 4 p.m. on Raiders Nation Radio, Unnecessary Roughness. Q, appreciate you joining the show. Absolutely, my man. Thank you so much, man. Keep doing what you guys do. Absolutely. And real quick, we are almost out of time. Uh, if we can hit fact this real quick, this is a good one. Fact this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. Well, I have two fact this, and they're both going to make sense. Fact, the longest active win streak over unranked opponents in college football history and the longest current active win streak in the FBS have come to an end. Yes, for those of you that missed it, this means that Alabama lost yesterday to the unranked Texas A&M Aggies. Are we shocked? Yeah, a lot of stuff to talk about in that game. Jimbo Fisher former assistant of Nick Saban at LSU, the first assistant coach for Nick Saban ever to beat him. He was 24-0 against assistants going into yesterday. The last time Alabama lost to an unranked opponent, 2007, when Louisiana Monroe beat him. Um, This is a shocker. Will Alabama still play in the playoffs if they run the table, win the SEC? Yep, 
they'll still be there. Hey, Brian, but here's, this was a shocking loss. Here, here's a fact that you may not know. Alabama last lost on November 30th of 2019 to Auburn. UNLV last won a football game on November 30th, 2019, beating the school up north. Wow. <laughs> 679 days. That is incredible. On both, on both ends, Chris, it's pretty amazing. I mean, when you think how long it's been since an unranked opponent has been beaten by Alabama, or, or Alabama has beaten Alabama, and then UNLV, that is amazing how long since they've won a football game. And um, I hope they win one this sake for, all of, for this community's sake. But um, Alabama, I think, is going to be fine. I just think college football the strength at the top is not what it used to be. Georgia, Alabama to me is still a very, very intriguing matchup. And I, and I think we still may see that for the national title game. One more fact, this it's a fact. The Los Angeles Dodgers won 106 games and were the second best team in major league baseball, 2021. And yet found themselves in a one game playoff with the St. Louis Cardinals who won 16 games less than the Dodgers although they were the hottest team in September, pretty amazing. This, to me, screams that the wild card round should be a three-game playoff. Chris, what do you think? Uh, no, I, I think I'm fine with, with what it is. Look, the reality is this, is this is not something that happens all the time. Major League Baseball doesn't need to jump to change the system because one year, the second, look, it happens in other sports. It's not like there, there's not seasons where the second-best team in the league is in the same division as the first-best. I mean, we look at hockey this year. A lot of people are really flying high about the Florida Panthers. Guess who's in their division? The two-time defending Stanley Cup champion. It's not out of the realm of possibility that those are two of the three best teams record-wise or points-wise in the NHL this season, and they may play each other in the first or second round of the playoffs. It's just the way it is. Look, the but reality, it's a round he, of the playoffs. Well, here's the, here's, the, here's the reality. Look, the Dodgers don't want to be in that game. Win more games than the Giants. Problem solved. Well, when you win 106 games. No, 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 no it's simple. Win more games <laughs> than the Giants. I still think a three-game playoff where each team gets a home game, the cream will rise to the crop, especially in a series against a team that's won 16 more games than the other. One game, anything can happen. Three games, you're probably going to have the cream rise to the top, or at least there's a better chance of that. I know it hurts with pitching staffs and all that, but I still like it. Listen, we're out of time. Tyson Fury knocks out Deontay Wilder in the 11th round. Third fight, uh, Tyson Fury's the best heavyweight fighter in the world, period. We got to go. I appreciate everyone that joined the show today. Ashley Vice, Q Meyer, Chris Magner, Chapman, and, of course, the Wiz back at home sucking it up and getting it done today. We'll be back next week, same time. This is Out of Line, Fox Sports Radio. Have a good day.